everyone, I'm Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy, amongst other things. My mind is a barrel, loaded clips and my guns tucked. Literally stupid up in Also, if you want to hit that subscribe button, I'll give you a high five. So today in my last series of where I tend to go metaphysical, I'm going to talk a little bit about the creator economy, also games, and a little bit about ecosystems, like the Cambrian explosion type stuff. So um, that's where I've been lately. <laughs> I'll be on a more consistent content schedule moving forward. I, um, yeah, like, life can be super weird. I'm almost done, I, I finished moving, um, but like I didn't have internet for a few days, so it's kind of like, you know, just floating around. So let's get right into it. So what is meaning? What does it mean to have meaning? Why do we do what we do, essentially? Like, what's up with that? Why are we doing the thing? Signs of froth are indistinguishable from signs of adoption. So essentially, you know, the NFT market, which I talked about extensively last week, there's a lot of signs of froth in the market. People are just like trying to figure stuff out. It's like, what's going on? If I play the game, I'll be able to figure it out over time. And so everybody's like, okay, I'll go play the game so I can figure it out. The thing is, meaning is created. It's not discovered. So everybody who's going to try and discover meaning through the NFTs, through everything that they do, at the end of the day, it really does boil down to the meaning that you attach to it. So yes, there is like the objective part of meaning, but there's also the subjective, which is you. You as a person, you get to decide how much meaning you attach to different things, which is pretty cool if you think about it. This ambiguity of existence too, where we have to like live in our discomfort and we have to understand what we're going through and all this stuff. And that gets really deep into philosophy, which I'll honestly is probably going to be an increasing part of what I talk about because I think the markets are essentially philosophy at the end of the day, like the forecasting, the figuring out what companies are going to do. It's all some sort of like philosophical thread that people are pulling on. And so in markets, things are meant to trade on fundamentals. You have a certain valuation that comes from certain cash flows, certain profitability, and you discount all that back to the present to get this price that the company should be trading at. And there are layers to this that are covered by the efficient market hypothesis in which essentially prices are supposed to reflect all available information and stocks always trade at fair value. And the only way to outperform is through higher risk. So the only way that you're gonna beat the market is if you take on more risk because that's what you have to do. And there's a couple of things that I think are really important to address here. So number one, and I'm gonna do a much longer piece, a much more quantitative piece on this moving forward is the disconnect from fundamentals. So I don't think, you know, if you talk to most people right now, they're like, oh yeah, the market's probably not trading on fundamentals. And you just nod and look at each other. You're like, yeah, this is pretty crazy because everything's trading against essentially the five companies in the S&P 500. That's what most like active asset managers are invested in. The market doesn't really trade on this like price target stuff. During the day it might, like on, on a short-term basis, but it's a little bit harder to capture that from a fundamental perspective, just because things have gotten so fuzzy. And then with the application to the beyond, so when you think about applying pricing structures to not just assets, but also people, not in, in terms of like buying them, but like, how do you value yourself? Like, how do you value your time? How do you value the things that you do? Like, you know, creators, for example, maybe. <laughs> Prices end up being about narrative more than anything. And I've written a lot about crypto recently, explaining a lot of the fluffier parts of all of this, like why do we do what we do? And I really wanted to take this newsletter in a different direction and just like this newsletter, this YouTube, um, I always have a newsletter. If you're like a reader and you're like, I don't wanna to listen to this person drone on and on about stuff, 
Um, I have a newsletter, go read it, go subscribe. That'd be cool, it'd be a high five. Look, high five right now. High five, newsletter high five, newsletter high five. <laughs> I wanted to make one, one main point. Like if you can just end the video here, please don't, but you can. This is all a story, it's all a narrative, it's all stuff that we're telling ourselves. Think about ecosystems. The Cambrian explosion happened about 514 million years ago. It lasted for like 13 to 25 million years, and most animals started animaling during that time, and life got more complex physically speaking. Organisms diversified. On August 22nd, 2001, Sharon Watkins sent a letter to Kenneth Lay saying that she knew that they were doing shady stuff, and then Enron imploded. On Apple first, 19 and on Apple first. On April 1st, aww. on April 1st, 1976, Steve Jobs was in a garage. 44 years later, they have built a company that manages every other company essentially through the app store if they have an app and also sits in the pocket of most people. So Apple is a very, 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 very powerful company. And what do all these things have in common, right? So we have the Cambrian explosion, we have Enron, and then we have Apple. They were all pivotal to an extent. And there are a lot of ecosystems that I didn't address. Like these are probably like, you're like, these are three super random ecosystems and yeah, sure they are. <laughs> but I do think that they're three really important ecosystems. So the Cambrian explosion was a literal physical phenomenon, right? Like it's a biological happening. It's something that did indeed happen. There's no narrative tied to it. Enron was an ecosystem that grew toxic. So it was a company, it did have, you know, their operations and it had its people. And this episode by Not Past It really dives deep into what happened with Enron in terms of groupthink, in terms of people being afraid of being exiled from the tribe. And that's what ultimately caused Enron to shatter to pieces was the toxicity of their ecosystem. Well, is an ecosystem that seems a little bit parasitic at times. They have built out a world in which they own like any company that has an app. Like Apple's like 30% for me, thank you. And they also sit in the pockets of most of the consumers. Like I'm literally talking, I'm looking at an Apple product here and I'm talking into you through an Apple product. They own us. So the Cambrian explosion, like I said, is sort of this root physical phenomenon. Like something that happened, you can't really deny it. It, it that was a thing. With markets like Enron and Apple, there's still that root physical, Enron's people and Apple's products that make it an ecosystem, right? So like you had Enron's people and then you had Apple products or you have Apple products. However, they are a little bit more driven by narrative. Enron to the point of destruction and Apple to the point of prosperity. So Enron was driven, you know, to, to zero by its people and imploded. And then Apple has been driven really highly by its people by the story. You have an Apple product. You're pretty cool because of that. Narrative is extremely valuable. If you can get people to attach to your narrative, that's super good. And that's what Enron did. Like they're like, yeah, this is it. This is how we're going. And they had built out an ecosystem similar to the Cambrian explosion. They had the tools, they had the infrastructure, they had everything. And then they imploded. Apple, on the other hand, had the tools of the infrastructure and then had a Cambrian explosion of their own where they executed on everything. If you can craft a narrative and get others to believe it, extremely powerful. If you can craft a narrative and then people start to doubt it, that can be a little worrying. That can lead to you going bankrupt and regulation following. 
sirens are here. So Loot, which is a crypto project, is a great example of narrative being really powerful. According to a piece by Will, who writes for Bankless, the project was a randomized adventure gear project consisting of 8,000 NFT loot bags. These games, which intentionally omitted images and stats for others to interpret, were free to mint directly from the project's smart contract and cost only the price of gas to do so. So not you like basically free admission as long as you pay for your parking um, into the event. So you would get a list of like, so this example here, beetle wing, gold coin, diamond, pearl, diamond, dragon tail, half penny pearl. And then you have to build all around that. And now they're trading for insane amounts in the secondary market. There were 8,000 NFT loot bags consisting of words. So people would build from their loot. Secondary market got crazy, like I said. But it's a way to design like one sold for 750K. And I'm sure there's more that sold beyond that but it's a way to design your own world which is really really cool right like we really like that choose your own adventure style especially in a world where everything is like mass manufactured for us to walk down the aisle knowing exactly what we're supposed to do in every step of our life you get the iphone you get the mac lap you get the mac laptop you get the job you um you know get married you have a house this is sort of a deviation from how we would think about that path of a life right like this isn't this is where you get to choose a little bit more and i feel like a lot of times we feel like we have we have become increasingly detached from our ability to choose basically it's just this really cool ecosystem where it's the game like it's the capital g game this is one where players get to figure out how it proceeds and it's like cultural legos it's flipping the nft world on its head where the collector so you would build the value from building the game creating the avatar etc so collector to nft versus creator to nft which is like me right and uh, the whole rest of this piece is kind of in reverse but that's okay also, the OG GameStop is also hiring in this direction, um, flipping, and they're basically flipping their business model on their head, and they're, you know, hiring a lot of blockchain researchers, a lot of developers to execute upon this game ecosystem because that's the way that things are moving to a certain extent. And now people get to, you know, tell their own stories, get to craft their own ecosystem. So what happened with Enron? You get to choose that life too. And that's really powerful. If you can decide on the path of a project that you're a part of, that creates so much more meaning in your life, that creates so much more power, it creates so much more happiness, and you get to vibe alongside everybody else. And that's super fun. So everyone gets to tell a story, but what is the vessel for these stories to reach? And as we think about, you know, we still heavily exist in this web two internet uh, world versus this web three world that everybody's like talking about. We still, like, we're still here. <laughs> we are still here. So what's going on in this here world? Outside of the loot world, where you get to pick your own adventure, it gets a little fuzzy as to who are like the storytellers, right? So we have traditional media on one side and then you have creators on the other side and traditional media is increasingly becoming something that nobody really wants to deal with so you have people from new york times going over to substack they're starting their own newsletters they're like okay forget about it i don't need the middleman i can go produce really really good pieces on my own and with traditional media it just doesn't feel very human at times and so i think creators really have a role here because they're the storytellers of the next generation creator communities have been hacking away at traditional media structures for a long time and I think the reason that it's been successful to a certain extent is because humans want to get their information in a humanistic way. Because things are weird. Things are super weird right now. Like in, um, New York is underwater essentially, and there's tornadoes ripping through New Jersey. Um, it, things are odd. And when things are weird, and you turn on the news and everybody's yelling at you, it's like, oh, sh you know, darn, I feel worse. And also, like, we have been so blooded to use the worst term I could have chosen, but we have been so flooded with media 
and advertising that we know when we're being sold to. And I don't think creators are the perfect solution to this. And I have whole other thoughts on all that stuff, like the consumer spending model of our society. But um, people are craving a sense of normalcy, which boils down to tangibility and accessibility. And this ends up, this is like one of the consequences of our decentralized society. We don't maybe interact with people as much as we used to. So we want to like hear from people who we relate to, hear from people that we trust. And we end up being more responsive, hypothetically, to a creator narrative versus media narrative. And this is what creators do really well, is they, they're human, they're superhuman, and they're, they're superheroes, they're not. Uh, the creators are tearing down traditional media because they create these inroads to excess, because they create these inroads to accessibility. I'm just talking about the industry though, and just things I've observed. So the creator economy is obviously a constant work in progress. They're storytellers, yes, but they're also advertising funnels, and that's how brands see them, because storytelling is essentially advertising if executed properly. So creators have two arms, media and also like a weird hybrid marketing thing. So brands are becoming increasingly aware that influencers are the key to unlocking audiences. Um, there are companies like Stir that are creating tools for creators, but it, it, when at the end of the day, it's like, what? Uh, okay, so am I still creating for my audience or am I creating for a brand? Like, this feels a little wacky. And the line tends to blur between brand and audience because you do have to get that bag, you do. But you also want to remain true to the people that subscribe to you because they're the people that you do it for at the end of the day. Like, at the end of the freaking day, like, content that's what it's all about but also paying the bills so it gets a little like it's a little weird and they're they're the reason that you're a creator in the first place and so you really want to do good by them just objectively speaking i i obviously same here but just objectively speaking and like talking to other creators everybody really just wants their audience to to like the content but there tends to be this this weird other dynamic that you have to manage, which is okay. So creators are becoming increasingly aware to their, of their own power, and there's going to be iterations, I think, of this collective creator ownership. I'm not really sure what that looks like yet, but I do think that it'll be like some sort of DAO, which I talked a little bit about previously. So I think it's gonna be obviously like a Web3 model. The biggest thing that I kind of hit on was like the monetization model. Monetization is something that nobody's really been able to figure out because, you know, dollar sign money is super important. And it's extremely important to get it right too because you don't want to undersell yourself, you don't want to oversell yourself. And there are startups like FYPM that are like, hey, you know, glass door for creators, let's hear what everybody's being paid. Like creators are very, very profitable because creators can capitalize on all this stuff that's going on in a very humanistic way, convey it in a very humanistic way. And brands and institutions just don't have like that, that tangibility with the audience. And so the creator equation ends up being distribution, marketing, creativity, brand management, and trust. Right on fundamentals, right? So brands get a lot out of this, right? They get distribution, they can tap into the creator's audience for a much lower price. Their ROI here is huge. And marketing, they can use creators as billboards, and this helps them convey their message in a really tangible and lower CPM in a more fun way. Creativity, so the creators are also creative. They get to, you know, do things in a fun way. They sound like a make it to do fun. They so brands get a fresh new perspective around their product and service, and that's pretty cool. Like you kind of get to see your brand reinvented through the eyes of someone else, which is awesome. Also brand management, they can reinvent how people think about the brand. Like if you're like, oh, you know, you work with Addison Ray or, um, you know, who's another one of them? I think, uh, Hype House Guy. Um, people are gonna think about your brand a little differently, I'd imagine. Big truck outside. But it also serves to put a gold stamp of approval next to that, to that brand's name too. 
and also trust. So the most important thing here is trust. So like retaining trust with your audience. The number one social currency is trust. And if brands can leverage that through creative partnerships, that's a super high ROI. But along the way, like things do get lost in the sauce because of this wild west. It's like everybody's trying to figure it out. It's okay. Everything's calibrating. It's totally okay. Um, there isn't a solid framework in yet for sort of this decentralized way of marketing or media and the ecosystem is fragmented. So circling back to that main point, like we're not at the Cambrian explosion of creators. We don't have that ecosystem in place. We don't have all that. Ownership is a super, mm, ownership is a very fuzzy thing. Um, if you're a creator, copyright all your stuff right now. Stop, like if you're still listening, cop get off the phone, stop watching me, go copyright your stuff. Go copyright your stuff. It's so important. And Croissant has a really good tweet about like what's going on, but ownership, I wrote, wrote about it last week. And I was like, ownership is the future. But all, what is ownership? Is <laughs> the content, the platform or you? I don't know. Does the mode of storytelling detract from the ultimate story? What's it, what does it mean to- I knocked my phone down. What does it mean to own content? Like, what does it mean to, to truly own what you've been doing? Uh, it, it, there's a lot of questions left to answer and I'm not gonna answer all of them right now because I have to read a little bit more, um, but we'll be working through this over the next few weeks and I'll be doing more market-focused pieces too, but it, it's still about the story, right? So stripping it all away, we're seeking the story, we're trying to understand the main objective. And the ecosystem in which these stories are being told is growing and it's flourishing and it's like it's such, it's such a cool time um you're seeing nft artists you know finally get paid for their work you're seeing creators finally getting paid for like what they want to do but uh, the ecosystem is still not cambrian explosion yet there's not this like we have the apps we have the tools we have the infrastructure but we're not you know we're not enron on the other side of the ecosystem and we're not apple on the other side of the ecosystem because we haven't even reached the cambrian explosion part of the ecosystem itself we haven't even become an ecosystem in terms of creators in terms of storytellers anybody can be a creator anybody can be a storyteller by the way i really want to make that clear you can do this it's fun i highly recommend it the world has evolved before we did right so we're just trying to catch up to it we're these little single-celled organisms just like ooh, ooh, what's going on i'm not sure how to operate in this world and you're trying to tell stories you're trying to do this we're trying to figure out how we tell stories how we own stuff we're figuring it all out still but right now we're not at the cambrian explosion of it yet and also, okay, I like to throw these in here. If you think this is just like crypto, if I'm just talking, you know, it's jobs too. Uh, ADP private payroll, payrolls had a huge miss. So 374K expected, or no, th three, um, 638K expected, six, 374 made. So big miss, big, 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 big miss. Lots of things are detached from fundamentals. If there are any, and they trade in a way that just doesn't make sense. That's just what's going on. The thing is thing. I said this last week and I really liked it because I think it's really descriptive. <laughs> it's all story at the end of the day. Vitalik tweeted out, I think the Loot Project has it right. Pretty much anything that anyone creates exists and what matters is to the extent that other people build upon it. You make the thing, others build on the thing. The thing things, right? Like at the end of the day, we all know that the thing things, but it only really starts to matter when people decide how they want the thing to be thingin'. Storytellers, ecosystems, new markets, it's all intertwined and we're very close to this Cambrian explosion in the space. I think we can all feel it. It's like rumbly. The market's in euphoria. We're getting close. Stock market too. I have a whole piece on that soon. But yeah, so we're not there yet. We're getting close. And this is kind of how the ecosystem is shaping out. 
we're starting to see the single-celled organisms being like, whoa, I can grow another arm. Look, another cell, let's join. Mitosis. <laughs> ah, it's been a while since I've taken biology. Other things that I'm thinking about, uh, China owning the data, zero-sum games, infinite economy, and this tweet from Dave that really drove me nuts because I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'd like to understand the financial system about as well as I understand the solar system. What are the stars and planets? What are their relative sizes? What are the basic laws that govern their interactions? I'm working on that, Dave. It's really cool. I like the way that you think about that. Yeah, anyway, thanks for hanging. Thanks for chilling. Thanks for chatting. And I'll be back soon with another piece on something. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'll be, I'll be, um, I want to, I'm going to do a piece on Stripe versus PayPal and sort of the future of payment. Uh, so that'll be coming out soon. And then also on the options market. So lots of fun stuff coming. There's lots of fun stuff coming. So if you haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and, and do that because we can high five yet again. So high fives not this long. So thanks for hanging. Thanks for chilling. And I will see you all soon.